0: Hi, I'm Pastor Kyle Carlson, and you're listening to a message from Imprint Community Church in Northeast Baltimore. I pray that this message will encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Visit us online at imprintcommunity.org and worship with us in person on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Seven Oaks Elementary School. Enjoy the message. Okay, great. Well, open your Bibles once again to Hebrews chapter 11. This is the last of the four-part messages on the book of Hebrews, looking at only a few verses in chapter 11. And if you remember, this is the history of God's people. And each story that we look at, we see a little bit of a different facet about the nature of faith. It's like looking into a diamond, and you just kind of move it a little bit, and it looks different. That's kind of what we have in this section. And I think uh, with Noah here... Um, what we learn from Noah is something about the relationship between God's word and faith. Uh, the, the close tie-in between the two. And I, I think the question that we need to ask ourselves is how seriously do we take God's word? How much weight and importance does God's word have in our lives? And as I look at the book, uh, look at this instance of Noah, it's challenged me to, to take God's word more seriously. And I pray that it would challenge you as well. Now, to catch up us up to where we are, I thought I would tell the story of the history of God's people through the lens of their faith up until the point where we get to Noah. And this will rehearse some of what we've seen already. So here we go. Here's the, the story of, of God's people up till Noah. So only take a second, but it's helpful just to think through the context again and again. So once upon a time, is how all good stories start, right? Before there was time, before there was even before, really, God created the world. And he spoke and he called the world into existence. Remember we looked at that? And the world, the whole space-time continuum was created by the Word of God. And, And friends, if we believe that, if we believe that God's Word created everything, then it is not irrational for us to believe God's Word over and against everything else. If we believe the world was created by the word of God, it makes sense, it naturally follows, that God's word has priority over everything else. So God created by his word. And then the crown of creation were, were the special creatures that God made in his image. Those creatures were like God and therefore different from all the rest of creation. All of creation obeyed God's voice, right? The animals, the trees, the rocks, the sun, and the moon, right? They all obeyed God. And that's what you get from Genesis, right? Everything obeys God. He he says, and it happens. And then we have creatures made in God's image. And they reflect God in a special way, that there's a moral center to their lives. And that means that their acts of obedience, different than the rest of creation, are also acts of worship, When they obey God, it means something different because they are created in his image with a moral center in their life. But unfortunately, they did the unthinkable. They chose not to listen to God. They chose to go their own way. They did not take God's word as absolutely true and the foundation of their lives. In a sense, they wanted to be God unto themselves. So they sat in judgment over God's word. They were the ones who would determine if God's word was right or wrong. Maybe it's right, but maybe it's wrong. We have to test it. That was not obedience to God. That was not worshiping him. And once they did that, once they did what God told them not to do, their relationship with God was forever changed. Now they deserved God's wrath, and they knew it. So they hid from God's presence, and they covered themselves up because they knew that there was something wrong with them. But God was gracious, and he did not execute final judgment on them right there and then, but rather he let them live because he knew that he had a plan to save them. Someone would come through the woman's seed who would deliver them and destroy that which hurt them. So in an act of faith, Adam and Eve had children. Their having children was an act of faith because they believed God's promise. And so their first two children, Cain and Abel, ended up being a parent's worst nightmare. When the time came for them to make sacrifices to the Lord, Cain brought some of his leftovers, while Abel brought his best. And God accepted Abel's best, and this made Cain jealous, so Cain murdered his brother. And then Cain went away and founded a city where wickedness just increased and increased. But God intervened in history. God gave Adam and Eve another child named Seth, and Seth took Abel's place as the godly man from whom would come descendants, the woman's seed. And from Seth's line came people who walked with God, including, as we saw last week, Enoch. By faith, Enoch walked with God so much that God just took him home. But sadly, after a while, Seth's line too became corrupt. The godly line intermarried with the ungodly line to the point where they were almost indistinguishable. The wickedness of humankind was so great that the Bible says Every intention of their thoughts was only evil continually. Think about what it would have been like to live in that context. If we realize that that's the direction of the human heart, then we should praise God that it's not that bad, both in our own hearts and in the people we see around us. And all this made God very sad. And he was grieved in his heart that he made people. And he decided that he was going to give them what they deserved, which was death except there was one person left of the godly line of Seth who walked with God just as Enoch had walked with God. And this is where we pick up in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. We see what this one man did. I I thought the title for this message could have been How to Walk with God and Save the World. Um, And here's what it says. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet not seen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the salvation of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, in this story of faith, I want to look at two things related to to faith. The character of faith and the consequence of faith. Now, what do I mean by the character of faith? I mean... What do we do when we have faith? What does it actually mean to exercise our faith? What does having faith feel like? What does it experience? And, and I'm afraid sometimes if we, if we can't describe that, if, if we don't know what it's actually like to have faith, then we don't know what it's like not to have faith, right? And, and that can be a problem. If we don't know the difference between faith and non-faith, how are we going to grow in our faith? So what does that experience of faith look like? Well, I think the, the author of Hebrews tells us here with reference to Noah. By faith Noah, being warned of God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Notice that faith responds to the word of God. As I studied this passage, I was struck how the author so closely ties faith to this warning from God, right? The original language, it says, by faith, being warned of God, Noah. The author wants to put faith, that word faith, right next to that warning so that we can see them together. They, they need to go together. The warning, of course, is that when God said to Noah, uh, he said, I have determined to destroy all flesh, construct an ark of gopher wood, for behold, I am bringing a flood over all the earth. That, that's the warning from God. That's the warning that the author of Hebrews is referring to. And that warning, notice, is a revelation from God's word. God speaks this to Noah. This was not just an impression that Noah had. Noah didn't look down at a stream and think, Oh, I think God's going to flood the earth. <laughs> that's not how it happened. There was a word, language. God spoke to Noah, words. It wasn't the least bit ambiguous. God spoke. God's word came to Noah. And this word revealed to Noah that there were going to be events that Noah could not see. Events as yet unseen. So faith, you could say, is responding to God's word. But it has a particular emphasis of responding to God's word concerning events in God's word that we don't see. That's what faith is. When we receive God's word about things that that the word says is real, but we can't see them yet. And yet we take them as real. That's faith. It would not require faith if Noah could see rain clouds forming, right? Right? And the weather channel in those days had been predicting 40 days of rain for the past several months. And then God said, hey, I think you better, you know, build a boat. That would not require faith. But it would require faith because many people theorize that before the flood, it had never actually rained. Think about that. You're, you're living in a time when rain just never actually came. Maybe maybe it was the case the water was coming up from the depths of the, from the earth, some people think. I don't know. It's, it's possible. And I can just imagine that, that God comes to Noah and says, there's going to be a flood. And Noah's like, well, what in the world is that? Well, it's going to rain. What in the world is that? And then Noah comes home and tells his wife, God told me to build a big boat because it's going to rain. And and his wife is like, that's ridiculous. Everybody knows that water doesn't come down from the sky. And yet it was real. <laughs> water does come down from the sky. And, and, and faith is taking God's word seriously as real, that God will predict things. He will tell us of unseen realities. And those realities are true because God's word is true. And what's in God's mind is true. When God in his grace and love, reveals to us those things that are in his mind. That's real, because God's mind is real, and, and God creates out of his mind. So we have to recognize that what God says is true, and that's, that's faith. So, so the question that presents itself as we read this story of Noah is, what unseen events that God has decreed to come about do I need to consider as real? We know that there is such a thing as rain and God's actually said he's not going to destroy the world through a flood. So, so that's not what we have to believe, right? No, no building arcs today. But what other things in God's word do we need to recognize as real and, and know on the basis of faith? In other words, knowing that faith arises out of God's word, what aspects of the word should be the basis of my faith now? How do I need to respond to events as yet unseen? What does that response in my heart look like? Or to put it another way, how much weight and importance does God's word have for you in determining what is real? You know, We live in a world today where it's not as bad as Noah's day, but yet there is evil. It does abound, right? You, you turn on the news and we see we live in a world where racism is so common, where innocent people get killed by those who are supposed to protect them, where rebellion is common. Several times recently in my life, I've walked through situations and I find myself asking, well, where's the justice in that? The people who are bad got off, and the people who are good got hurt. Is God going to do something about it? The answer is yes, he is, right? Just like in the days of Noah, there will be a judgment. The author of Hebrews makes it crystal clear for us that Jesus is the judge. We read in Hebrews that the Father has said to the Son, this is the Father speaking to the Son, to Christ, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of your righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. This is the father giving Jesus the authority, right? Matthew, it says, you know, all authority has been given to me, Jesus says. The father gives the son that authority to judge the world. The father says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Jesus is the rightful king. And he will return to sit upon the throne and rule the earth in perfect righteousness. So when we look at the world and we see there is not justice, we have to add the little word, yet. (laughs) There is not justice yet, but one day there will be. Now that's an event that is not yet seen. We, We don't see that, but we need to believe it. And our job is to give appropriate weight and importance to that future reality when Jesus comes and brings f- uh, perfect justice. And that justice includes not only that judgment that he will bring, but also salvation. God warned Noah, not so that Noah would know that the world was going to be destroyed by a flood and could, you know, have fun and eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow he dies, but rather so he could prepare a boat, that he could be saved, right? Right? And so also, Jesus will come not only to destroy, but also to save. We could say that Jesus is the true and better ark. All those who come in him are safe. In fact, the Bible speaks of Jesus in a similar way that you would speak of an ark and that you get into him. The Bible uses the strange language of believing into Jesus. The way Jesus offers us salvation is by becoming salvation himself. And then he calls us into him. And we who are in him, we who have believed in him, into him, do not experience the judgment to come. Just like in the days of Noah. They are, they are protected. Those in the ark were safe. Those who are in Jesus, who by faith have trusted in Jesus, the Bible says are in him, they are safe. They will not experience the judgment to come. Our problem, though, sometimes is that we make Jesus all about salvation without a clear idea of what he's saving us from. Let me give you an illustration that has always struck with me. This is by an evangelist named Ray Comfort. Because you might have heard this before. It says this. Uh, here's his illustration about how we need to be conscious of what we are being saved from. He says, Two men are seated on a plane. The first is given a parachute and told to put it on and it will improve his flight. He's a little skeptical because he can't see how a parachute could possibly improve his flight, but after a little while he decides to experiment and see if the claim is true, so he puts it on. He notices the weight of it on his shoulders and that he can't sit up straight, but he knows the promise that it will improve his flight, so he decides to give it a little bit of time. And as he's waiting, he's noticing that some of the passengers are laughing at him. After a while, he can't stand it anymore. He gets up and throws the parachute to the ground. Bitterness and disillusionment fill his heart because from his perspective, he was told an outright lie. The second man was told to put on a parachute because at any moment he would be jumping 25,000 feet out of the plane. He gratefully puts it on. He doesn't even notice the weight on his shoulders, nor that he can't sit up straight. His mind is consumed by what would happen if he had to jump without the parachute. You see what that's illustrating? Two men are essentially asked to have faith in a parachute. One is asked to have faith based upon the things that he can see, the way the parachute is supposed to improve his flight. Sometimes we talk about Jesus as if the only thing he did was make this life easier. And it doesn't make sense. Disillusionment arises. The other person is told to have faith in the parachute based upon the events that are yet unseen, right? That future jump. And for that, the parachute makes much more sense. Now, of course, Jesus comes into our lives and he improves our lives, right? Christianity makes all the difference to to give us a, a better life even now. And yet, Paul says that if it was for this life only that we hope in Jesus, we're of all men most to be pitied. Jesus has not come to give us our best life now in the sense that everything that we could possibly want is fully realized and all our cares are taken away. No, he's giving us our best life in the future. And that changes the way we view our trials and pains and sorrows now that we see God is using even those for good. It's important that when we realize, that when we place our faith in Jesus, we realize that we're putting our faith in him in view of judgment to come. And then we will appreciate him all the more. Notice, though, not only does faith respond to God's word, but it responds in a reverent way. Right? Notice that. In reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. So God gave the warning, and faith responds to that warning, not simply with intellectual assent, but with reverent fear. We, when, God's word, when God speaks to us in his word, when we read God's word, when God's word is read and preached, we receive it with a sense of reverent fear. This is God speaking to us. That word reverent fear is, um, literally means to receive something in a godly way, to receive it in a godly way. We, we bestow high honor on it. We have fear, not, not sense of dread, but the sense of considering, uh, but the sense of being in all of it. We're in all of God's word. We, we give it the appropriate weight and importance. In other words, we receive God's word in a way that is different than we receive anything else. And if you think about it, unless Noah did this, there's no way he would have gone forward with his plan, right? He constructed an ark for the sa- saving of his household. Now, you know, imagine this took months. This took a very, very long time. And, and he's building a, a boat in, in a giant desert, a, a large bo- boat, right? You know, one and a half football fields length. He, he had to, I mean, people had to come from miles to make fun of him. Right? That was probably a, a sport to, to make fun of Noah building this boat because he says that there's going to rain. You Think about the perseverance it would have taken. Think about how he would have at each moment as he's building this boat have to go back to God's word and hold God's word at such, such reverence in order to continue moving forward in this plan that God had given him because he trusted in God and, and held his word in such high regard. And friends, I, I think that poses the question for us. Do we have that reverence for God's word that we ought to? Do we shudder at the thought of going against God's word? Is there this, this emotional uh, reaction to it? Read, read Psalm 119 sometime and notice how the psalmist talks about his love for God's word and, and the place it has in his life. Well, we must move on. Notice the consequence of Noah's faith. Look at the character of his faith. That's considering the unseen things as more real. And now we look at, and in doing it in a reverent way, the trust in his word. And now we look at the consequence of his faith. Notice the second half of verse 7. By this, that is by faith, that's clear from the grammar here, by faith he, Noah, condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Interesting. That may not be what you would expect the result of faith is to be. But, uh, but that's what it says here. He condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Think, think a bit about how his faith condemns the world. Think about that. Quietly building an ark... In the face of that persistent persecution, presses upon the people that God is real and his judgment is real. Right? In fact, Noah building an ark is the vehicle for the purpose of escaping God's wrath, is, is showing more clearly to everybody else that God's word is real and God's wrath is real. Right? I mean, imagine you're an unbeliever living in Noah's neighborhood. You can't be neutral to the fact that a big boat's going up, right? You can't ignore that. You either side with Noah and say, yes, let me in, get out of place, or you reject him. The boat, in and of itself, is a testimony of God's judgment. It speaks judgment. It speaks salvation, too, but it speaks judgment. And friends, that's what our faith does as well. When we quietly live out our faith, before others when when we trust in Jesus and everybody knows that we've trusted in Jesus that is a testimony to the salvation in Jesus but it's also a testimony to the judgment of the world right why do we need to put our faith in Jesus well because things aren't the way they're supposed to be because we've all messed up and failed in the deepest possible way and Jesus had to come and be slaughtered on the cross in order to fix that problem our faith pronounces a judgment it also points to salvation but it also pronounces a judgment and we must not forget that that's why paul says that that living the christian life is a smell of life to those who are being saved and is the stench of death for those that are perishing our faith says very clearly that we're all not okay and there is something desperately wrong and apart from Christ, we're utterly doomed. Now, we still need to open our mouths and, and speak, right? Francis of Assisi said that we should preach the gospel often, or at all times, and use words when necessary. And, and I think that misses something important, right? And just as Noah needed to actually hear God's word to know to build an ark, we need to actually speak the gospel, right? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. But I think Francis of Assisi was on to something. After we verbally share the gospel, one of the loudest ways we condemn the world is just living a quiet life of faith. We don't beat people over the head with a black King James Bible and tell them they're sinning all the time. That won't make them feel condemned. That will only make them feel justified because they don't want to turn into somebody like us. Rather, we cultivate a a quiet dependence upon God. This is why Peter says that in order to have a good conscience to those outside the faith, we must sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts and give an answer for the hope that is in us with gentleness and reverence. He said we need to do that even when they persecute us. The irony is that when believers are condemned by the world, their faith actually condemns the world. And so friends, consider what is the quality of your faith speaking to the unbelievers around you? Do you have a, a quiet trust in the Lord for your salvation? And, and can others see that in you? That, that they can't then be neutral to Jesus. If they're around you, they should have to deal with the fact that, of the gospel's claim that Jesus came and died on the cross for sinners. That's all of us. Our, our life of faith should bring that forefront in our relationships with others. And that brings us to the last point here. Not only does our faith condemn the world, it's our ticket to the world to come. Notice that last part of faith, of of, of verse 7. By faith, Noah condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This is a very interesting way to put it. And when I first studied this, honestly, I was a bit perplexed as to what is he actually getting at here? But as I, I looked at it more... It's interesting that a lot of the words that the author uses here are also used of Jesus. So when it talks about being the heir, uh, the heir of the righteousness that comes by faith, I think that should alert us to uh, you know, call us back to Jesus, who is the heir of all things. Uh, We read that in Hebrews chapter 1. God appointed him as the heir of all things. Jesus is the climactic heir. And it's kind of like, I think what's going on here is that Noah is set out as an example, as a pointer to Jesus. Think about it this way. Noah had faith, right? And got into a boat. And when that boat landed, Noah got off, and it opened him up into a whole new world. Noah's faith in building the ark was the means in which God used to give this whole new world where there was not the evil that there used to be, right? Of course, it wasn't a perfect world, and it, you, know, you had the Tower of Babel right after that, so it didn't fully give the kind of salvation they wanted. But nevertheless, Noah's faith in building the ark gave him, made him the heir of this new world. This new world after the flood was the new world that Noah sort of led everybody into because he was the one who had faith and built the ark. I think that's what he's trying to say about Noah. And he's trying to use Noah then as a pointer to Jesus, who through his faith, through, through, Noah, through, through um, Jesus's faith, he died on the cross trusting in his father, and then he rose from the dead. And then that ushers him into this whole new creation reality. That's, what, that's how Jesus here is is similar to Noah. Jesus is the true and better Noah. We said he's the true and better ark. He's also the true and better Noah because his faith ushers him into this whole new world order. Noah's faith did the same, but it wasn't a world order that would truly bring salvation. It got bad again, and it's the one we still live in. Jesus, though, in his new creation reality, gives us this new world that is actually all good. And notice... That, that Noah, not only was he saved, but so was his household, right? Noah and his household were saved. And the author of Hebrews stresses the point again and again that if we have faith, we are in Jesus's household. It uses that same word. So the point there is that just as Noah in his faith ushered this ushered him and his household into this whole new reality jesus by his faith does the same i said before that the title of this message could be how to have faith or how to walk by faith and save the world but at the end of the day this is really pointing to jesus because he was the one who walked by faith and then saved the world and it's only because jesus had faith in his father for his father's plan, that then we can have faith and our faith can do any, do us uh, some good. Only because Jesus first had faith to in his father, ushering him into that whole new world, can our faith in Jesus then tie ourselves to him and we go into that whole new world with him. Just as Noah's family, through Noah's faith, was able to get out of that boat into this whole new realm, we, through Jesus' faith, get into him, and then come out on the other side into that new creation reality where uh, it is all new and all good. So I think that's what the author of Hebrews is getting at here and the way Noah in a, Noah is a witness of Christ, right? So, you know, we have this great cloud of witnesses that the witnesses are not witnesses that just are like, look at how good they did it. Let's do it like them. That's true in some sense, but even a deeper reality they're witnesses of jesus they reflect jesus by their faith and so noah reflects jesus and we're supposed to see jesus in the story of noah that we may have more faith in him so how does this then make a difference in our week how should we apply this i think first and foremost it underscores the importance of faith in our lives right we need scripture to remind us of the importance of faith Faith feels like it's kind of weak. I, I, in In the first century, it would have been this kind of ridiculous idea. It wasn't a strong thing. I think in our sort of Christian culture, what's left over the Christian culture, we've just naturally elevated faith to to something that's a little bit higher. And that's why you can see billboards years ago in Baltimore. It just said "believe." Right? There's this sense. Oh yes, let's let's believe this faith will do something. And and I think that's sort of a misconstrual of the Christian message. Back in the first century, faith did nothing. It would be like, well, that's a ridiculous thing. You just have faith. And yet it's important because it's not the faith in and of itself. It's what God chooses to do with our faith that's so important. And so we're naturally, I think, prone to diminish the value of faith as if and that's not of great significance. And I think scripture would then tell us that we need to remind ourselves of the importance of it. It carries great weight because of who our faith is in. So we must uh, strengthen our faith. We we must see Jesus as critical for our lives and God's word as central. I know you know these things, but we just need to be reminded of them because there's this continual drift the other way. And so we should see God's word that tells us about Jesus As the most consequential reality in our lives, and we should see it that it tells us about Jesus, who, having faith, has won. Jesus really did rise from the dead, and so he really does usher in a whole new reality that is good for us. And and I think that should ask us. We should ask ourselves then, where is unbelief in my heart? And we should have this sort of search and destroy mission, for unbelief in our heart. How am I prone to doubt God's word? How am I not giving it the importance and weight that I ought to? And, and we should examine ourselves in that way and, and talk about that with others. And I think, finally, we should also remember whose household we are a part of, right? We, if we are a member, if we have faith, we are a member of God's household, Christ's household. He is saving us. He is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, the Bible says, which is such a high honor. We're, in a sense, on the ark with Jesus. It is his ark, and he has led us on so that we would be saved. And that is true. That is more real, that that we we are more attached to Jesus and safe in him than the people in Noah's day were attached to Noah and safe inside the ark. And that should encourage us. We are of his household. We are of those who have faith. And, and therefore, uh, we should just be encouraged that he really is saving us. And he really will keep those safe who have put their faith in him. So, well, <clears throat> I hope these, this series on, on faith in and, and Hebrews has been encouraging. Um, it's helpful, I think, to look back at the, that you know elementary, uh, in some sense, simple reality of faith that we're all called to have uh, as as essential for the Christian life, and and we can we can you know get it as a, a child can believe and trust in Jesus, and I think they do, and yet then we're as we walk deeper in the Christian life, we need to go deeper in our faith and realize that uh, uh, root out the unbelief that so easily. creeps in our hearts. So so I pray this series has encouraged you to uh, grow in faith all the more. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would show us where we have unbelief in our hearts. Lord, we are like the man who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We are prone to wander. So, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us of that and grant us greater faith that we may trust and follow Jesus. Lord, we know that this week, this month, this year, we will be tested. Lord, we will fight it hard to live out our quiet faith in you before others around us. We will be prone to consider their opinions of us, the status that worldly things afford us the pleasures that the world offers us, we'll be prone to consider them as more important. We'll be prone to, to want the security that money or, or uh, job security or something else can provide. And, and yet, Lord, we pray that in those moments and with our life in general, we would look to Christ as being more real, more secure, more foundational for our lives. Lord, we pray that we would be people who tremble at your word. And then when we hear your word, there would be an appropriate reverent fear in all of you, that you, your sovereignty and glory, would come down and speak to us in a way that we can understand. Lord, increase the reverence that we have for your word. Make us people who live and walk by faith. Help us do that together, Lord. Help us be a community of of people who are walking by faith and are able to strengthen one another. We thank you for the community that is here. Lord, we pray that you would continue to strengthen it, that we may speak to one another in love, in encouraging one another in in their faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.